All right, next week we will get back to our regular Sunday night series, uh, what people want to know about the Bible, but since we've had a few breaks here for other things, I'm going to postpone it one more week. I was planning to get back to it tonight, and then I got an email. Uh, I get emails from lots of strange places, but uh, one that I got on their mailing list somehow uh, is about better preaching. I don't know where it comes from, from sure, but they send a little article from some preacher somewhere telling you how to be a better preacher. And about 10% of them, the title kind of catches my eye, and I think I'll read this one to see what this has got in it. Some of them got some pretty good things in it. Uh, the one that caught my eye a couple of weeks ago, uh, as I was preparing to start the new series that we started this morning, uh, the title that caught my eye, it said, Does Your Preaching... Strike a grace-truth balance. Does your preaching strike a grace-truth balance? Now, that caught my eye because this balance of grace and truth, as this person calls it, uh, I've had a little experience with that. I think I've told you before, one of the proudest moments I ever had was one time when an elder called me on the carpet and told me that he had got a couple of complaints about my preaching. And one complaint was that there was it was just too strict. There was too much law and too much legalism. And the other complaint was from somebody else that there was just way too much grace being preached around here, and we needed a lot more law and legalism. And I said, that's pretty good. I must be doing all right. I must be striking a pretty good balance here. If I'm upsetting them on both sides. Uh, and that, so I had, I knew that and I saw that title, Does Your Preaching Strike a Grace Truth Balance? So I thought I'd read it. And what the guy said uh, was that preaching has this choice to make. Preachers have this choice to make. Do you, do you preach more about truth or more about grace? And here's some of the things he said in it. He said, truth-oriented Christians love studying Scripture and theology, but sometimes they're quick to judge and slow to forgive. They may be strong on truth and weak on grace. And grace-oriented Christians love forgiveness and freedom, but sometimes they neglect biblical study and they see moral standards as legalism. They're strong on grace and weak on truth. With all due respect to this fellow who wrote this, that's poppycock and balderdash. Yeah, yeah, it just is. The problem is, he set this up all wrong. And as I read through it, it didn't really hit me when I saw the title, because I was thinking about the way we usually think about preaching, I guess, and all that. And I understand what he meant, but as I, the more I read through it, it hit me what he had done wrong. Uh, what he had done wrong is when he says a preacher's got to decide whether to preach grace or truth, that implies that those two things are separate options. It really implies that they're mutually exclusive. That you choose to preach truth or you choose to preach grace. 
And that's why I said that's rubbish. That's not the way to think of it. It's not grace or truth. It's grace and truth. Grace is truth. Uh, in fact, Jesus, John 1.14, I think, says that Jesus came and he was full of grace and truth. Okay? Jesus somehow went through life not deciding, well, let's see, am I going to talk about truth today? Or am I going to talk about grace? Am I going to please the people that like grace? Am I going to please the people that like truth? It never entered his head. He was full of grace and truth. Now, I'm being a little harsh on this guy. I know what he's talking about. I just don't think he said it very well. Uh, I understand that, yes, there is this choice of what we preach, and sometimes preachers... Uh, I mean, they never mention grace. Uh, they just hammer all the rules and regulations, and God said this, and we got to do this, and we have to do that. And, and all that's true. God did tell us to do some things. And then some others never talk about those at all and just talk about, well, man, we're just wonderful and everything's A-OK because God loves us, and we just, it's every, everything's fine. Well, It's not an option of those two, although we can make our preaching, make it seem like it is. And once I'd read it and thought through it, I thought, now how could he fix that? How could he make that a better article or get the correct point across? And I think the point is that he's trying to make, that he should have made, is the choice is not between grace and truth. The choice that we have in life is between grace and law. The Bible talks about that. When it talks about grace and truth, it says they fit together real well. When it talks about grace and law, then you've got an option. Then you've got a choice. You want to live by grace, you want to live by law. So let's talk about that just a little bit tonight. And the reason I threw this in here, not just because it interested me, but I think it ties in so well to the series that we started this morning. Uh, about being free from doubts about our eternal salvation. And we've got to really understand this, grace or law. So let's work on that just a little bit real basically. Uh, we've talked a lot of times about sin. We've talked about God's holiness. We've talked about how those two don't fit together. We've talked about how God is so holy that sin cannot be in his presence. Because of that, sin separates us from God. Okay? When we sin, which we do, that separates us from God. Uh, to be in union with God, we can't have sin. We've got to be 100% innocent to be in the presence of God. Okay? Now, that's just all fact. That's just plain truth there. The question is how we get 100% innocent. Uh, That's what we got the option of in life. Uh, The first way, or one way, there's only two ways. Uh, One way is really pretty simple, in concept anyway. Just don't sin. If you never sin, 
Don't break any rules. Don't break any regulation. You'll be 100% innocent, and you can be in God's presence when you die. Now, that's called living by law. That's the method. And it's a viable option. By viable, I mean it's conceptually possible. It's not easy. In fact, nobody's ever done it except one person. That's how hard it is. But it's a viable option. If, and the Bible talks about it that way. If you want to choose that way, go ahead. If you want to choose to get into God's presence, to get reconciled to Him, to be 100% innocent because you have never sinned, then okay, give it a shot. Yeah. Living by law. Well, we live by law sometimes and in certain things. Any of you ever been to court? I don't expect you to hold your hand up, but I know some of you have. I didn't see you there, but I've been to court. Okay. In fact, I've taken more than one ticket that I received to court to fight it. Now, when I take, choose to take a ticket to court, can you guess what I really think about my position on this law, I think I'm innocent. I'm really convinced that I did not break a law and am not worthy of a ticket. When I believe and am convinced and read the law book and everything else that I'm innocent of this, I'll go to court. I'll say, Judge, I want to live by law today. And the trooper said I did this and I didn't break that law. Okay, I've done that a couple of times, and I've won because I was right. I didn't break that law. I think I told you this before, but a trooper gave me a ticket one time for going through a train crossing. Didn't have arms or anything, and the lights did start blinking, but I looked, and the train was a mile and a half away. And he stopped me and gave me a ticket for it. Okay. Well, I thought, that didn't seem right. Yeah. Just common sense, that didn't seem right. So I looked the law up. And the law says the train has to be within so many yards or you have to be in imminent danger or something like that. Okay, I had 15 minutes to get across. Yeah. So, so I went, and the officer gave his account to the judge, and then I gave him my account. And... The judge did an interesting thing. He started asking the officer a few questions, and he was having a little trouble answering them. And so finally, the judge reached down under his bench, and he pulled up this great big law book. And he said, let me help you a little bit here. And so he opened it to that section. And he got to the part that said about imminent danger, I think was how it was worded. And he asked the trooper, he says, is that what you want me to convict Mr. Tandy under? Well, the guy had a hard time, you know, because he knew I wasn't in him in the danger. In one small part, he followed me across the tracks to give me the ticket. <laughs> yeah? You know, I had that on my side. 
Anyhow, so the judge asked him about that, and he admitted, well, no, there wasn't any imminent danger. So he closed the law book and said, case dismissed, sent me home. Okay? Now, I went in there. I was actually very confident I was going to win. Why? Because I knew the law and I knew I was innocent. Okay? It's okay to live by law if you know all the laws and you know you're innocent of all of them. That's one way to live. That's one way to be justified. Okay? Now, there is a second way that Paul says is the good news. <laughs> this is really good news. He said the, the first way is living by law. The second way is to be justified by God's grace. To live by God's grace. Okay? So there we get our choice of grace or law. The Bible story is that Christ came, he died for us, he was innocent, it was the blood of the perfect lamb, he was a propitiation for our sins, and he allowed a perfectly just God to declare us innocent. And that's the story, and we could spend weeks talking about that. It's a great story. The way it works is his sinlessness is credited to us as righteousness if we believe in him. And we are then declared innocent. So once again, we're 100% innocent, but we got there a different way. And we understand that. That happens in the world sometimes. Somebody who is guilty gets declared innocent. Now, it offends us. In the world, we say, that's not just, that's not fair. But it happens sometimes because our legal system is imperfect. It's not run by a perfect God, a perfectly just God. It's run by men who mess things up sometimes. Some of you are old enough to remember the O.J. Simpson case, probably the most famous case of this one. Everybody in the world knew he was guilty. But he had some good lawyers. The state had some... Kind of bad lawyers, and there was kind of a goofy judge in charge, and all kinds of crazy stuff happened. But I remember the day I saw it on TV. The judge came back with his ruling, and he said he's innocent. And everybody's jaw just dropped. Well, guess what? He's innocent. Now, I didn't say he didn't do it. I think he did it. I think he's guilty. But in the presence of the law, he's declared innocent. He got to walk out of the courtroom and go golfing if he wanted to. Okay, now he's messed up some other things since when he got back in prison. But in that case, kind of a faulty justice system. And don't kind of forgive me for using that to equate this with how we deal with God because it's completely different. But the concept, just focus on that guilty, declared, innocent. That's what this method is. The first method is just to be innocent. The second method is to get declared innocent, even though you're guilty of things. Okay? So, in that sense, if you're guilty of anything, of any sins, the second way is... Really, really good news. Romans 8.1 talks about that. In fact, all of Romans talks about it. 
But Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, remember that from this morning? You get in Christ Jesus, you've got eternal security. There's no condemnation for you. You're declared innocent. Okay? Now, if you go on and read this, Paul's not talking about the difference between being saved and being lost. He's talking about two different ways to get there. Listen to it. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Okay? Paul says, I had two ways. I grew up living by law. I grew up knowing that I had to be 100% innocent to be justified in God's sight. And he tells us some other places that's really hard. That's a heavy yoke. People can't bear that. That's a tough one. He said, that's what I was under. He said, but God sent Jesus, and he gave me this other method, and he set me free from this method because Jesus paid for my sins. That's our two choices, folks, grace or law. Now, when we read that, and we're thinking Paul's a Pharisee and all of that, our first thought is put the whole thing in the concept of the Old Testament. Okay? And we think about all those Old Testament laws and keeping the Sabbath and not breaking any laws on the Sabbath and going to all the sacrifices and doing all this. We think, man, that would have been tough. Okay? And that was true under the Old Testament. But under the New Covenant, in New Testament times, in 2014, we've still got exactly the same choices. We can live by grace or by law. That's what that guy was trying to say in his, his little article, is preachers that preach the rules all the time, the regulations, the, the, the truth of it, he called it. All the time they leave out grace. And I think we can do that. It's not about the Old Testament laws. It's about the rule-keeping aspect of it. The, i got to pay my premiums to be insured that I'm going to heaven. Yeah. i, I got to do this, and i got to do this, and i got to do that. And by the way, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. That's the only way you're going to get into heaven. If we have that mindset, if we think about it that way, then we're picking the wrong one. Let me illustrate. Let's go to Galatians 5.4. Read it first. I said... Living by law is a viable option. You can try it if you want. Here's a couple of things you need to know before you try it. 
Galatians 5, 4, if you know what happened in Galatians, in Galatia, uh, at the very start of the book, uh, we know we're off on a bad foot because he calls them fools. He said, what's wrong with you guys? You got, you got foolish on me. Okay, what did they do? Paul had come to their territory. He had taught them about Jesus. He had taught them the word of the Lord. He had baptized them. He told them about eternal security. He told them they have eternal life. And then somebody else had come in after him and said, by the way, there's one law here, circumcision, that you need to keep. God wants you to do that. And so some of them said, well, okay, if God says I've got to do that, I'll do that. Okay? That's what Paul's writing this book about. That's what he called them fools for. Now, look at the principle here in Galatians 5 and verse 4. He said, you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That's a heavy sentence. Okay. I mean, part of me thinks what they did wasn't that bad. You know, somebody came in and told them this. They believed it. They did this. And he says, you've fallen away from grace. You're alienated from Christ. What's that mean? You're not in Christ. You're not going to heaven. That's heavy stuff. Okay. Now, what mistake had they made? They had made the mistake of thinking, I'm going to live by grace like Paul taught me, taught me, and I'm going to throw in just a little bit of law. Just a little bit. Not the whole thing. I don't want to keep the whole thing, but I think I've got to keep this. I've got to do this to be justified in God's sight. What did Paul taught them? He taught them about grace. You either pick law or grace. You can't have both of them. That's what he told them here. You either pick grace and stick with it. You start to add a little bit of law. You're out of grace. I mean, that's powerful stuff. That ought to make us think. Warning number two. Go over to James. Chapter 2 and verse 10, James 2 and verse 10, this is what James warns them. If you want to keep a little bit of the law, you got to keep it all. Okay? First thing of the rule is you can't have both of them. That's what the Galatians tried to do. And James is talking to people that are trying to keep a little bit of the law. And he says in verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Okay? If you're going to live by law, you've got to go all in. You've got to go 100% or nothing. Okay? So if you've got some laws, if you've got some rules, you've got some regulations that you think you've got to keep to please God so he can justify you, you got to keep them all. Everything he said in the whole book. Okay. Now see the difference there? I'm very happy to go to traffic courts 
and live by law. When I'm being tried on one law, I know I got that one. Okay? But if that judge would have said, okay, now we've cleared that up, you're not guilty of running the red light, Tandy. Okay, now let's go over to this section here on speeding. Let's talk about that a little while. Well, let's talk about rolling through stop signs. Let's talk a few other things here in the code. Uh, excuse me, Your Honor, but I'm out of here. You know, I don't want to live by law. I'll go if it's just mine that I know about. But I don't want to mess with the whole thing. Okay, that's what James says. James says, if you want to try to live by the law, you better score 100. Okay. So, I admit, this is looking more like grace is a good choice, isn't it? <laughs> you living by law is tough. Okay. Okay, let's wrap this up. At this point, my guess is some of you are still sitting there thinking, so, okay, I, I got the principle, but I don't know anybody that's advocating circumcision. You know, so what's that got to do with us? Well, it's not just the Old Testament things. Like I said, it's everything that God said. If we get to trusting in something that we do, now remember I said we got to do things this morning. And when I, my example of doing something was baptism. And I said it kind of quickly, but I said, now don't restrict this to baptism. And I think we do that sometimes. We make that our example, and we focus only on that, and we decide that's what we're going to talk about. It's not the act itself that's the problem. We're supposed to do it. Kind of like circumcision. In fact, it's a lot like circumcision. Where did the Jews mess up? God told them to be circumcised. They had to be circumcised. But what happened in their heads? They thought... I did that, that justifies me in God's eyes. I did the act, nothing else matters. And Jesus said, or God said, that makes me mad. They also went to the tabernacle, they went to the temple on the right time, and they did the right sacrifices, they did everything they were supposed to, because God told them to. And what did he say? That makes me so mad. Because your heart's not in it. You're not doing it for the right reason. You're just doing it as a rule. You're doing it because you think that justifies you. What they had really done is started putting their trust in circumcision. You ask a Jew, uh, one that had come to this point, uh, why do you think God's going to approve of you in the end? Well, because I'm circumcised. <laughs> no. No. Faith in Him is what gets credited as righteousness. Now, if you've got faith in Him, you'll do everything He says. Yeah, you'll be circumcised. Yeah. And I admit there's kind of a fine line there, and we may put too much emphasis on one side or the other sometimes. Uh, i got a kind of old, but I got a debate here between a evangelical uh, 
scholar of some repute, and he debated somebody in the Church of Christ, and here's what they debated, or what they talked about in the debate. Uh, why do so many Bible scholars regard Churches of Christ as a cult? Why is the Church of Christ at constant odds with Orthodox Christians? Why do they insist on baptism, according to their understanding of it, for one to be saved? Okay, understand what I'm saying here? There, there's people that look at us and think, we're a cult. Why do they say that? Because in their perception, which is wrong, I think, but in their perception, they think that we've done exactly what the old Jews have done and decided we will trust in the act of baptism. Instead of doing it because we put our faith in Christ and he says, be baptized. There's a difference there. Trusting in the act is a dangerous thing to do. Does that mean you don't have to do it? No, not at all. You still got to do it. And people that argue against having to be baptized use this example, and they use the Jews of circumcision, but they never get around to thinking, well, didn't a Jew have to be circumcised? Yeah, he had to be circumcised. The problem is what he trusted in. The problem is what we trust in. You either trust in law, doing things, or you trust in grace. You still do things, but you do it for a different reason. You don't trust in it. Okay. Now, I said don't restrict it to that. I just wanted to make you think about that. But we go. Some folks go beyond that. Sometimes we put so much emphasis on having our doctrine perfect and our beliefs perfect, and our teaching perfect, and even our ways of doing things, that we make them the things we trust in. That's living by law, folks. If you think you've got figured out the exact right answer on all the theological questions, and you think you've got figured out exactly how to do everything, including things like worship, which the Bible doesn't say hardly anything about. But you've got figured out this is the way to do it. And I, I, you're getting real close to trusting in law. There's only two ways, law or grace. Now, and I'm not talking about specifics. I'm talking about you look at our brotherhood. You look at some of the things we do. And we divide over things that the Bible barely mentions. We decide who we're going to fellowship and who we're not going to fellowship sometimes. And we judge others. Well, they're not doing it exactly like they ought to be doing it. And I know that's about unity and not about salvation. But the bottom line is, I don't think we would be so critical and so judgmental and so sure about all these things if we went back and said, how am I going to get in? Am I going to get in by law or by grace? 
I, I think that answers a whole lot of questions. And I'm not saying we shouldn't study and be as right as we can, and I'm not saying there aren't things we ought to do right and some things are wrong. I'm just saying if we start to put our trust in that we have it all right, we're going the law direction, I'm afraid. If we ask ourselves, how are you getting in? I think I'm getting in by grace. I might be a little more tolerant of other folks. Not so quite so harsh with them. Okay. Grace and truth. That's where we started here. I'll pick both of them. Grace and truth is a good thing. Grace or law. I'll pick grace. I'd advise you to, too. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the graceful call of Christ, we'd be happy to help you if you have anything needed from this family tonight. We'd be happy to help you with it. Need to come? Come. Stand and sing.